Hey guys, this is Jennifer from The Shooter's Mindset. We are live with episode 356. We've got our co-host here, Greg Cannon. How's it going? Hey everyone. And our guests of the hour, we've got Nick Laufenberg from Vortex and Joe Burdick. And we're going to talk about the Vortex Team Sniper Challenge. I know a lot of buzz has been going on about this and what is it going to be and where is it going to be and um, all that. So we've got some buzz about that tonight. We're going to answer a bunch of questions. So y'all put whatever questions you have in the live comments and we will ask them as we can. So to go ahead and just get the show started for anybody that is unfamiliar with y'all. Um, I would like you both to, you know, one at a time, tell us kind of how you got into shooting and got into, um, you know, precision rifle shooting. Go ahead, Nick. All right. Uh, well, I started off pretty young, like most of us in this uh, genre of shooting, you know, um, started off with a BB gun, then in 22, started killing every bird around me, uh, started zapping squirrels and uh, started enjoying hunting quite a bit. Um, got proficient with a bow as well. However, I had uh, some less fortunate uh, for my first year bow hunting when I was 12. And I decided to pick up the rifle and, and make that my, my main priority. Um, tried to do everything I could to make myself uh, as as proficient as possible with a, uh, a rifle. And then I started trying to push myself further and further. Uh, learned more about ballistics, started reloading my own ammo. Um, it's kind of all above, did as much modifications to a factory rifle as I possibly could to make it shoot better. Um, and then I eventually worked my way into a position at Vortex and uh, here I am. Yeah, who'd you uh, kill off to get that position? <laughs> I can't <laughs> name the names, but there were a few of them. <laughs> You're like, I can't tell. <laughs> no, how about you? Um, I started off as a, uh, you know, before my teenage years hunting um, here in North Carolina and uh, hunted deer and squirrels and rabbits and pretty much anything, frogs, snakes, whatever was out there um, and did, you know, as much shooting as I could. But it wasn't until after I'd gotten out of the military um, and had another career. Um, I'm a full-time nurse by trade. And uh, when I went from LPN to RN and started actually making better money, I was like, well, I always wanted to try competition shooting. So I got in, started with IDPA. That was the closest thing around. And that was the coolest thing I'd ever done until um, I shot a USPSA match. And then I was like, oh, wow, I've been wasting my time. So <laughs> I did, did a few of those. And then somebody talked me into shooting a three gun match. And then I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Um, so I picked up a few sponsors and started traveling the country, running around, meeting everybody and making a lot of friends shooting three gun. The only thing that I was ever really worth a crap at in three gun was the long range rifle targets. So I just kind of gravitated. The sponsors are like, hey, um, you ever think about shooting bigger rifles further? And I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. So I think they kind of pushed me that way. And um, I wound up shooting the Mammoth Sniper Challenge. Uh, with an infantry medic and that the bug kind of bit me there started with the PRS and <clears> did uh, a couple of years traveling all over the country doing that as well but the sniper challenge stuff the the realistic you know ruck and shoot and climb and jump and solve problems on the clock was really my passion so it's definitely different <laughs> yeah uh -huh. 
It's funny because I kind of did the same thing. I found a pistol and then moved to three gun and then found long range and just fell in love with it. So it's really kind of funny. So everybody wants to hear on this show about this announcement about the match. Y'all announced it on, was it Friday? I can't remember. All my days are running together right now, but you just announced this match series. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about it for the whole hour, but what made you guys decide to start the Vortex Team Sniper Challenge? What, where did this idea come from? So I had run, I, I, I went to um, another match uh, similar to this and was fortunate enough to be squatted with all special operations and SWAT guys from all over the country. And as they were shooting the match, they were like, oh man, this is silly. You would, you would never do this. This is a sniper match. This would never happen and that would never happen. And this would get you killed and this is dumb and we're never coming back. And so being a, submarine electronic warfare guy I never even got to mess around with weapons in the military so but just listening to him talk I, I realized that they were right I mean it didn't it didn't take much to realize that hey you know if you if you shot from right here you'd be totally exposed and everybody would see you and you know you'd attract a lot of attention so I thought you know it would be really cool if we tried to make this as real as possible um so I kept shooting that kind of match and kept hearing the same comments. And I thought, you know, if I ever do this, I'd, I'd like to do it and, and, you know, make it what I think it could be. And then I, you know, finally got the opportunity. Somebody said, Hey, you know, why don't you run it? And I was like, I guess it's time. So let's do it. So, you know, we got a few sponsors together and we got a title sponsor and, and we kicked it off down in uh, South Carolina the first year and ran it down there. Uh, and then the next year we went to uh, Arena Training Facility down in Georgia and um, ran one there and it was it was great. Um, and then the last two years, um, we moved back up to North Carolina, which is great because it's really close to my house. And, you know, it's kind of a big undertaking to get out and do all the prep and haul all the targets and, you know, map out all the ruck routes. But so it's really close to the house here for me for this one. Um, and after the third year, and I, I think a lot of matches have this, have this go on, I had incredible prize tables. Everybody sent me tons of stuff and the prize tables were massive. Even when other prize tables weren't all that great, they were, they were huge more than I'd ever hoped for, but there was never any match presence from the sponsor. Um, and I think that's important when you go to a match that's sponsored by Vortex and um, and I had done that. I'd been going to Mammoth, and and every year I was there, um, I shot for another optics company, and my partner was Scott Whitehead, and Nick was taking me to dinner every time I went to Mammoth. So <laughs> I thought every time I come to this match, he's here. He's got a couple of guys in tow. They're carrying optics around. They have a tent up. Um, they're asking questions. They're they're giving guys shipping labels. You know, they're doing all kinds of stuff to support the shooters not just with something at the end of the match for the prize table, but, you know, all of the logistics and the hints and the tips and the tricks and, and how to get the most out of your, out of their products. And I think that's huge. I think shooters appreciate it. Um, I think it gives the sponsors a chance to communicate with their, with their base. And uh, so I called Nick and I was like, Hey dude, would you, uh, would you be interested in sponsoring a sniper challenge? 
And he's like, absolutely. So we, you know, kind of, and I knew him, like I said, I knew him. He, he bought me dinner, you know, a, a, like a dozen times probably. <laughs> so I called him and asked him for more money. And uh, he's like, yeah, Vortex would love to do it. So they came and he, we did, you know, true to, true to exactly everything I wanted. Nick showed up with flags and banners and, you know, I still had the original banner. The original company sent me one banner and I, I still had it. And I ran three matches with the same banner that was, you know, just a small, you know, wasn't even as big as what you could see behind me. So this last year we had a great big backdrop for pictures and we had big flags and all the way down the road, there's Vortex stuff. And, and they sent me 12 of these big, massive. Nick said, why don't you hang one of those up in the background? I said, dude, it's too big for my wall. <laughs> so we got these, you know, they designed a logo for me. Um, and it, it was just, they knocked it completely out of the park as far as support from a company. Uh, and then, so Nick calls me the day after the match and he's like, all right, man, two things. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I'm starting to train tomorrow. I'm going to shoot it next year. And do you think you could do one of these a quarter? Yes, I do. Um, I told him, I said, dude, this is always what I wanted to do. Kind of similar. I, I, you know, familiar with a lot of the army ranger stuff. I got a couple of friends that were rangers and are, you know, really good dudes. And they're like, yeah, we, we had the jungle phase and the, the desert phase and the woodland phase. And I said, wouldn't it be cool if we took this match all over the country and had uh, different regions and different altitudes and different humidities and, and you know, right. different temperatures and then have a, have a championship at the end. And that was always my dream after I started running a few of them and, and everybody loved them. That was that was kind of what we were what we were after, and and Nick's like, hey, can you do it? And I just jumped on the chance and said, yeah. That's awesome. So that's kind of where that's kind of where we're at. We we've done exactly you know Nick's Nick and Vortex have made it possible for me to do, you know exactly what I've always wanted to do with this match, um, and announcing it as a series, having five of these instead of just one, we've basically doubled the number of matches of this genre in the country so yeah there's definitely a big uh, opportunity there for these so you and I talked on the phone um I don't remember what day because everything's going together but we talked a little bit about um tell me tell them kind of what you were telling me about the camaraderie how important do you think it is for these military guys to have a venue to come to and just have fun and have that camaraderie with people that have done the same things they've done. And then my second question with that is, how realistic do they think it is? You wanted to make it more realistic. So what's the feedback you're getting from the military guys? So at that first match, like I said, all, all of the guys, there were, um, there were a couple of 82nd Airborne teams. Um, there, were, there was a third group team. There was a Minneapolis SWAT team. Uh, I think there was like a couple of Department of Energy teams, and I, I think I was pretty much the only guy on the squad that hadn't shot somebody with a precision rifle. They were all combat veterans and had had done this for real. So that's kind of where I was getting all the information from. So you know, it's it's two degrees one morning. Everybody's freezing to death, and we're standing around waiting to shoot and. Most of these matches are blind, so you can't you can't see the other guy shooting. So there's really nothing to watch. So all you've got to do is just kind of stand around in a tight circle and talk. So 
I'm kind of on the outside and, and they're talking about things that, you know, are kind of horrifying to the, the general public, all of the stuff that they had seen. And, and this is about the time that um, veteran suicide really started getting the attention that it deserved. Um, and it really started coming to the forefront uh, with Mission 22 and organizations like that. And, you know, these guys that were talking about, you know, dudes that they had known that that had um, taken that way out and and why they thought it was happening. And it was a it was an incredible conversation. Um, all I did when I was in the military was, you know, I was locked in a steel pipe for three months at a time. So our action was just what you saw around you. But that sounds terrible. Yeah, well, it wasn't nearly it wasn't nearly as horrifying as some of the stuff that they had talked about and some of the buddies that they had lost and and they said, you know, we we have a hard time talking about this because people don't understand that when you leave that situation and you come back to the real world, um, the things that go through your head and and you know when somebody slams a door or somebody hollers at you somebody screams, you hear a loud noise. Nobody understands that. And it, it's hard for them. It's hard for that. Some of them, some of them do quite well and, you know, but it's hard for them to, um, to talk to other people that haven't been through that. And I just kind of piped up and I said, you know why that is. And it's, they just kind of looked at me because I, I obviously the outsider I was like, you guys don't have a peer group. How many people have done what you guys have done? There's nobody to talk to about it because you guys are kind of the, you know, and all of those guys are really the tip of the spear um, in, in that squad in particular. But, you know, nobody can identify with all the stuff. And, and they were in a group of, you know, 18 guys or so that had all been and done exactly the same things. And the conversations went exactly where they were supposed to go. And they got a lot of support from each other. And I was like, you know, that may be the most important part of this is to get these guys together um, in a group that understands each other because regular people that live regular lives like us don't understand that stuff. So to be able to get these guys um, doing, you know, back together in a group in a safe environment, um, doing stuff that most of them love to do, you know, even after they get out or um, and, and exhibit some of those skills and have some kind of outlet um, as far as talking to each other and, and like I said, the camaraderie, but to be able to, to, to show off those skills in a friendly competition where, where nobody gets hurt, um, I think is huge. And um, that's kind of been the big focus. That's why this match is all about military and law enforcement snipers. Um, obviously it's open to civilians, but I was telling Nick, I said, you know, if this filled up with, with, you know, all cops and sheriffs and patrolmen and, and soldiers and sailors and Marines and Coast Guard guys, it, it, it'd be, it'd be fine with me. Um, but so I try to focus the match, the, the match, um, the things that they do to answer your second question. Um, I try to make it as real as possible. Uh, I was on a all special operations three gun team for, um, uh, Nordic components. And I was the only one that wasn't a green beret. So five green berets and one Navy guy. So, you know, where all the jokes who, who wound up on the butt end of all the jokes. Um, but all of these guys, I think all of them, but maybe one were 
sniper qualified. And, you know, we went through, I was like, you guys helped me design some cool stuff. You know, what would you do in this situation? Where are some places you've been? What's the hardest shot you ever made? They got tired of me asking questions, but what's the hardest that you ever had to shoot from? You know, how far, how close, what else besides being a sniper and waiting for a single shot did you find yourself doing? What are some of the what are some of the other situations that you got stuck in uh, when things went bad? And so we, I try to recreate all of that stuff. Basically half the match recreates actual situations that have happened. Um, we've recreated some, some really cool, um, really publicized sniper engagements from throughout history. Um, we've, we've had a World War I stage. Um, we had kind of a Black Hawk Down stage. Um, we, we, you know, we shoot out of trenches, we crawl through barbed wire, we do all kinds of great stuff um, that, that really sucks at the time. But when you look back at it, you're like, wow, that was, that was really cool. Um, in any of these matches, if your muzzle protrudes through an opening, you don't get any points because that's something that's a big no-no, something you would never do. Gives away your position. So, you know, we've had them shoot from the back of rooms. Uh, on on objects that they've had to build to get you know to get the height to, to shoot through the window. Um, this last year, uh, we've had guys, you know, we got guys that get hurt um, in combat. So they started out one stage shooting over a car, shooting the pistol targets, and the RO stopped them, and we had a simulated grenade attack. And the scenario goes that. The primary shooter loses his dominant eye, and the secondary lo shooter loses his dominant arm. Um, so, secondary shooter has to stick his thumb in his holster, and the RO hands puts a pair of glasses on the uh, on the primary shooter that has his his eye blacked out. And then through the rest of the stage, you got to figure it out, and that's that's what it's all about. You figure it out on the clock. Um, we we've done some really neat and and I saw some great things. Um, some guys go completely to pieces, and some guys they figure it out and they they figure out. We we had one team that the primary shooter um, primary shooter ran the bolt for the secondary shooter, and they they just they just sat there and cleaned all the targets. I don't care who shoots them all; just make sure they all get shot. You get points for every one you hit. So we had guys, you know, one one guy holding his hand over his partner's eye and 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 running the bolt at the same time and whatever they could do to get it done. And they were like, man, that is the coolest thing we've ever done. Uh, we've turned people upside down in uh, rollover vehicles. Uh, the scenario was you're driving down the road, uh, vehicle in front of you hits an IED and you get flipped over. So we pile all their stuff up outside the vehicle. And you know they're all strapped in. They got helmets and goggles and stuff on. And uh, one of our one of our sponsors had provided pistols, and we put them in retention holsters on the dash. So at the start signal, we jerk this suburban upside down that's in a cage, and they draw the pistols and they shoot through the windshield, through what was the windshield, um, and and shoot at pistol targets while they're upside down still strapped in. And then they holster up in the retention holsters get out and they go collect their stuff and run about 50 yards and, and shoot a shoot a course of fire with their rifles. 
So, you know, we try to do all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, the stages uh, that we've had in the past, people just absolutely loved. Um, but they're all not crazy, but, you know, rooted in, in some, some type of combat environment where things are loud. Uh, the first year we had the match at Coleman's Creek here in North Carolina, we had, um, we had two guys, two actors pinned down behind a car and the, the snipers jumped in a blazer and they drove a hundred yards and slammed on the brakes and the time started when they got out. So one guy went over the hood and one guy went over the trunk with their precision rifles and the two actors had uh, M4s and blanks. So the whole time that these two guys are trying to shoot precision rifles off the trunk, um, these two guys are throwing hot brass on them and screaming and shooting and bumping the car and moving and, you know, so, and, and everybody just, they're like, oh man, this is the greatest thing we've ever done. <laughs> so we try to make it as real as we can without the competitors getting shot at. And uh, as soon as I can figure out a way to safely do that with Sims, we're going to do that too. Um, uh, you know, I've heard sniper teams having to clear rooms um, and having to provide aid and, you know, doing doing all kinds of stuff, rescuing guys, dragging guys. We drag dummies, shoot from strange positions. Uh, one thing you'll almost never do is shoot in the prone uh, with plenty of time. You're going to shoot your pistol a lot. Uh, they're going to be crappy. They're going to be crappy pistol shots. They're going to be crappy rifle shots. Um, it's going to be tough. Nobody, nobody, well, I won't say nobody, but very few people ever clean a stage. They're not designed to be cleaned. Um, Something else to mention is the targets themselves. You're not going down there and painting targets. You don't have this easy to locate white stick out object in the middle of a field somewhere. They're, they're either painted gray or already beat up. So they're hard to see as it is. So when you're searching for these things on the clock, they're they're not stand out. You can't walk up to a stage and be, oh, there's a target, there's a target, there's a target. You got to look. And sometimes you won't find them. Yeah. So if you guys want to practice, it's Rust-Oleum Primer, Auto Primer Gray. <laughs> um, the more you shoot it, the more it looks the same. We, we found that out last year. Um, the year before last, uh, we had all the targets painted white. Everybody got fresh paint on their first stage and it snowed, started snowing about midnight the night before. Oh. And we woke up and <laughs> so I'm like, all right, do we run down there with orange paint and paint all these targets orange? And I thought, no, let's let's don't do that. They're they're going to be hard for everybody to find. Uh, that's the, the fairest way we can do it. Um, and we, you know, everybody's going to gripe a little bit. But I figured out last year that the best way to do it is just to paint them all gray. And literally, the more you shoot them, the more they look the same. So it's. Even the, even the last squads get almost an identical target presentation to the first squads after they're all beat up. So you got to find them. Um, they're, not, they're not hidden terribly bad. Um, we have hidden some bonus targets. So if you find that guy, he's a, a counter sniper. Uh, best targets cut me some really neat little sniper heads with just, the, just this. And we painted those camouflage and hid them on stages. Um, they weren't an official target, but if you found it, if you finished your, you know, if you if you thought you'd collected as many points as you could reasonably collect and you saw that guy or you had a little extra time and you could find him, um, you called out a code word to the to the RO and they knew immediately where to look that you'd found the target. And uh, the, so you get some some bonus points for stuff like that. 
this sounds absolutely awesome. Have we, have we said when the first uh, first event is going to be yet? The first event is the last weekend in February uh, at Coleman's Creek. That's kind of in South Central North Carolina. Coleman's Creek Training Facility uh, is a spectacular place. It's super, super hilly. Um, you're shooting different angles, um, completely different directions. A lot of ranges are laid out. You know, everybody's shooting south. Um, and, you know, the wind's the same the whole day. Um, this, you may do a, a different stage. You turn around and you're shooting, you know, 140 degrees off to the other, the, the, the next range is 140 degrees away. So your wind changes. There's lots of elevation changes there. You're shooting down into valleys, um, shooting across, you know, big gullies and stuff. So a lot of, lot of wind variations and a lot of terrain, a lot of difficult terrain there to shoot through. And when is registration open for this match? Uh, what time is it? It is 9.27. Uh, it opens in four minutes. Four, four minutes. <laughs> four minutes. Registration opens in four minutes on practicescore.com. I already have friends texting me saying that they're, they're sitting there at their computer and they're going to be the first to sign up. So There is. There is. There's always, there's always a, 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 a few guys hitting there with their refresh button. Um, the first one did not sell out. Um, we filled it up with sponsors and um, people that we, you know, people that said, hey, we want to come do it. Finally, um, the second one sold out. It took a few weeks. The third one sold out in two weeks. And last year it sold out in two days. So. So get in there quick. Yeah, get in there quick. Everybody get hitting that F5, refresh, refresh, refresh until it's live. <laughs> yep, yep. So we're going to head over to the lives real quick. Um, Jeff wants to know when we'll be releasing the days for the remaining four matches so that we can get off work. Um, we, will, we will release those um, as soon as possible. It'll be in the next week, I would say. Um, the, 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 the second match is going to be in... Uh, I'll go ahead and kind of let the cat out of the bag. Second match is going to be in Missouri, um, you know, on this side of summertime. Um, the remaining matches are going to be on the other side of summer um, out west and in Texas. So a couple in the spring, three in the fall. So yeah, the, the goal is to not uh, kill anybody from either heat exhaustion or uh, or yeah. frostbite. So <laughs> yeah. so we, we had to kind of it was it was so I, I got hurt um, back around the begin right at the end of the year. Yeah, right at the beginning of this year and uh, couldn't work and couldn't really do anything, couldn't lay in the bed. So I was kind of basically stuck in a chair and my wife's like, look, you have got to get out of this house. <laughs> I'm tired of seeing your face. You've got to go somewhere. So I got in the car and drove towards Missouri. I called my dad and I said, hey, pack a bag. We're going on a road trip. And uh, so over about two weeks, we did about 6,800 miles looking for sniper challenge venues. Um, drove from North Carolina to the, the bottom end of Utah. And back. some good ones too. Oh yeah, we've there's some great some great venues, some really really cool places, um, spectacular scenery and uh, lots of cool stuff in the neighborhood to to go do. 
That sounds just like an awesome adventure that you don't frequently have the chance to do. No, I, I yeah, I was stuck in sitting in a chair and I thought, well, a car seat's just as comfortable as this recliner is. So off we go. <laughs> what are the lives you got? So Regina, and first off, Regina, we're all glad you're alive. I'm not sure if you guys saw her adventure to try and go to the finale, but. Oh she, yeah, she almost burned up. Yeah. So like mad props for like saving yourself and staying calm and getting out of that situation. Uh, she asked if Jennifer has shown off her training injuries yet. No, not on the show. <laughs> Look at, I, she texted me a picture of the blister on the bottom of her foot. If anybody wants to see that, it's going to cost you, but I can make it available. <laughs> Wait, are you profiting off of her feet pictures? <laughs> well, they're not. What are you going to do? Uh, start an OnlyFans page of my blister? <laughs> <laughs> well, so at every at every match, we always have a blister reel. Um, and that's something that all the photographers and everybody, I'm like, you know, you see guys crashed out on the side of the course somewhere and resting up for their next one that's foot care is one of the most important things you can do in matches like this because you you do go a long way um with a heavy pack a lot of times so we always have a blister reel um and we've seen some horrible ones uh one of the first ones i ever shot in the only re i was shooting with an infantry medic as my partner and he's like dude i don't know if this guy's gonna make it he said the only reason that blister isn't any bigger is because his foot isn't any bigger it covered the entire bottom of his foot so I can feel his pain. I mean, it's like I said, I have a blister and people are like, oh, okay. And then they see it and they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good one. It's a good one. It's like a, a big old blister. manly blister too. Yeah. yeah. You know, we have another live from Wendell. Um, he says, thank you so much for bringing this to the show. Um, and thank you, Joe, for what you do. My son was a Marine Corps sniper and he made it back from Iraq in February of 2005. We lost him in November of 05 because he just couldn't deal with it coming home. He was the reason I got into precision long range shooting and that's the way I cope with it. And he's with me every time I shoot. Thank you again for what you're doing, so. That's awesome, Wendell. I, I hate to hear that, but unfortunately it's all too common. And if we can get these guys together, um, and, and literally in their peer group, which is, is, is tiny. I mean, you know, precision rifle of all the, of all the rifle sports, precision rifle and long range rifles, probably the smallest. And then this genre is in that kind of lumped in over in the corner somewhere and it's even smaller. And, and that's where those guys, you know, tend to collect. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we want to do. Get them with people. Um, <laughs> Get them with people with similar experiences that have a peer group that understand what they're saying. Like, yeah, brother, I know I, I was there. I did it. I know exactly what you mean. Um, it's it's a it's a terrible situation, but you know anything we can do to help these out. I can imagine. Like, uh, I was an ER nurse for twenty. Well, I won't say how many years. Shows how old I am. But uh, for a long time in a level one trauma center and like no you can't go home and talk about your day like nobody a wants to hear it over the dinner table and and b they don't understand and that was not seeing combat at all and not seeing my friends injured so i can't imagine 
um, military because I know as an ER nurse, when you find somebody else, it's like, oh, you're an ER trauma nurse. Oh, cool. And, you know, you can kind of, you know, trade yep. stories Absolutely. and you understand each other where no one else understands what it's like to, you know, hold that family member whenever, you know, it's been a bad outcome. So I can totally see because there's nurses everywhere, right? But, you know, yep. military, it's it's very much more you know, pockets here and there, it's not as widespread. So I definitely can see where it's a huge thing for people to be able to get together and, you know, talk through things. Also, um, uh, Adam, no, Alan Jaworski says he's registered. So I don't know if he's the first one. Fantastic. But so Alan, Alan Jaworski's partner had the biggest blister we have ever seen on a human foot and it was only <laughs> it was it was only because his foot wasn't any larger um so those guys i you know we shot our i, I think that was our first match as well and uh, those guys have been shooting together the whole time and i've you know bounced around with partners and you know those guys were they were hurting that first day um they were the only guys that were hurting worse than i was hurting uh, and now they're they're top level guys. Um, they really put the fear in people this past year. Um, so they're they're that's a team to to watch. Gillenberger and Jaworski. So keep that in mind, guys, when you're registering. So Cor Corey got registered. Matt Sprouse got registered. So they're they're filling it up. Fantastic. These are all guys. I mean, you know, the all guys that I that I know that have been coming back year after year after year. Um, uh, Matt and, and Jaworski have shot it every year I've had it. Um, and I've got I've got several teams that have been this will be their fifth year. So Clayton wants to know if Nick is sitting by a fire because he's glowing. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what you were laughing at. Yeah, I lit a small fire in my office, so. <laughs> it's his mood lighting. <laughs> yep, it's mood lighting. He does have some pretty cool mood lighting. We asked Nick what else he does in that office, but. Um... No comment. Well, the, the lights will turn to purple and green, and that, that's just kind of the, that's kind of the orange color he's got going on. Yeah, this is, this is my atmosphere color. I like it. That is so fun. So, so earlier we were talking about, you know, guys being together and, and, a, and a peer group. One of the other, on a, on a much more positive note than, than, uh, than a tragic note, um, these guys from different teams and different services and different law enforcement agencies get to share with each other the things that they have done and their experiences and their gear and what works for them and what may work for somebody else. So a lot of times on these squads, you'll have um, as, as much of a conference as you will a competition. Um, these guys are drawn off of the experiences of, like I said, other departments and other services and other units. And um, they, you know, we've, we've, we've had guys come up and go, oh, wow, we're going home and, and we're gonna buy, we're gonna buy those because we saw these guys from from the Marine Corps, one of the Marine Corps teams using this and it worked great. So, you know, there's a lot to be learned um, with all your, your military and your law enforcement teams um, from other teams that may have more experience from you than you do. Um, and they, you know, the, the level of gear is, is always different between 
um, between agencies. And what these guys find out is that, hey, you know, that works, that works great for them. This works great for us. Uh, maybe we can use that. Uh, we, we never thought about using this piece of gear in that fashion. So um, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be gained there too, as far as practical experience. So um, one quick bigger question that um, Rudy wants to know, is there a website or a place to get information about the series? Yeah, you can go to rocksolidshooting.com and go to the rules and it gives you a brief overview of, um, of all the rules. There's a tab in there that says matches and then rules of engagement. Um, I don't know if you can put that up on the live, that website. Um, so we can put it, can put it in the comments. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rock, rocksolidshooting.com and just go to the matches tab and look for rules of engagement. And uh, it'll, it'll give you all the caliber restrictions and the, the caliber requirements and um, uh, the divisions that goes into what each division has to do. Um, we, you know, we can touch on that too. Um, but uh, down at the bottom, uh, I think it's section 10 kind of briefly describes the way the series will shake out um, as far as what you do, what you need to qualify, where you need to finish in these matches um, to be able to qualify for a finale. So the end of the year championship is going to be down in Texas. Um, kind of a central location for everybody to get to. And uh, we're going to see who the best sniper teams in the country are. That are that are out competing in these kind of matches. That's awesome. So we'll go into the divisions and some of the details in a minute, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, what the match experience is going to be like because we were talking before the show, and I think it's going to be very different than what people are used to for a match. So this is kind of going to. I mean, it's going to be a match and it's going to be fun, but it's also going to be kind of an experience. And so can you just talk about how this match series is going to be different? You know, I show up, it's not going to be just go zero, get my book, go, you know, or, or, or whatever, get my instructions, go home, and then the match starts the next day. What, um, what all is it going to entail? What makes it different? Nick, you want to start on this one? Yeah, sure. So uh, one of the big things that, you know, Vortex, we sponsor a lot of events. And um, one of the things that I guess I personally see, um, as well as hear from other companies that support, you know, shooting events and general matches, is that when it comes down to it, a lot of times what we end up doing is just is just sending product to put on a table for somebody to pick up, you know, at the end. And, and that's fun. Everybody does enjoy a good prize table at the end. And it, you get to walk away with a new shiny toy. That's great. You know, makes you happy. Um, but one of the things that the, there's been a few matches that I've personally gone to and, and shot and they stand out in my mind because I remember thinking, gosh, that was, that was a lot of fun. That match was really cool. We got to do this. We got to do this. Uh, that was different. That was different. Um, and so that's something that we're really focusing on. So uh, of the four day long event, the last three days are the match itself. Uh, so the first day is where everybody uh, arrives. They can check their zero. They can, um, um, get a little camaraderie, everybody get together, hang out and, uh, do the, uh, sign in and everything. But we're also going to have a vendor expo for 
all the uh, all the sponsors involved with the event and be able to set up a booth, put up top products, demo them. Um, we're also going to be opening that vendor expo up, not just to the shooters, but we're opening it up to the community. We're not charging for admission for that. We want to get those vendors in front of as many people as possible and at no charge uh, for those people coming to, to the show itself. Um, we're also going to be hosting classes for the shooters to take. Uh, we'll have entertainment. We're looking at bands. We're looking at dinners, food trucks, fireworks, the whole nine yards. So we really want everybody that comes to this event to remember it as that was that was a whole thing. It wasn't just a match. That wasn't just, okay, when's the next match? It's, I can't wait to come back to one of these. I think that's awesome. Um, so if somebody's local to a match or, you know, even an hour and a half away, you could ride over for the day and get to see some vendors, get to take some classes, get some education, um, see what it's about, uh, you know, maybe even talk to some of the competitors. Hey, what gear do you have? You know, I, I think if you're just wanting to get into this, so our viewers that maybe are not already into this game, but are thinking about dabbling in it, I think that's a great opportunity for them to go, um, you know, learn some, but, and mingle with some of the shooters and see what they have. Uh, mm -hmm. I always think you should kind of see what's out there before you just go buy something because you'll buy something and then you'll go to a match and you'll be like, I really wish I had that. <laughs> so that's really a great uh, opportunity for the community as well as the shooters to be able to do both. And it's a great yeah. opportunity for the vendors. Yeah, it, it does allow that, which is another thing that you don't see at a lot of precision rifle matches is the community where the match is being located to actually be a part of the event. Uh, so, I mean, some of these locations where we're going to be at, you know, we got some small town areas, we got some big town areas, but a lot of times you go into town and nobody has any idea that there's a precision rifle match going on, especially one to this, mm -hmm. this size. Um, and for them to be able to come out and see what's going on, talk with the competitors, uh, just going down the line at some of these matches when you're talking with the guys that are just, even just zeroing their guns, the amount of knowledge you can pick up from some, some of those folks is very impressive. And, and from somebody you know coming in from the community that might not have any experience in precision rifle, being able to talk to one of those people for a short period of time might just you know get them into the shooting sports in general. I think that's great. Yeah, there's there's nothing like that that easy hands-on experience, and you know we'll we'll try and get that out to as many as many people as we can. Of like, hey, come on, come on out on Thursday, hang out with us. You know, if you've never shot a match before, if you're thinking about getting into it, you know, you can go and ask questions on Facebook, where everybody tells you the only thing you need is a 300 Win Mag and pencil barrels, the best thing ever. Um, going out to a match with people that are actual competitors and you know, getting to meet some of these vendors hands-on and handle some of these products because, you know, there's no way to tell online if I want a, a medium or a mini fortune cookie, you know, it's much easier to actually get out there and touch it. Um, so we just so you guys know, if you're watching and you're thinking about signing up for it, we are 16 minutes into registration and over half sold out. So wow. Y'all better get on it. There are only 29 slots, right, at 60 teams per match? That's correct. We There are only 29 spots left, so if you're thinking about it, get on it now. 
Wow. We try to, we try to keep the match kind of small. Um, the, the more, the more teams you got in there, the less, you know, the, the daylight's the same for everybody, but the fewer teams you have, the more, the more those teams get to do. So we, are, we they, are, they, are they in squads that move together, ruck together? Yeah. So the, we've done all of the same division in one squad. So an all mechanized squad and an all trooper squad and all, um, over the years though, I figured out that a lot of times it's, it's more advantageous to mix those squads up and put some of each division in there. Um, we've also got, if you'll notice in the registration form, if you're registering and if not, uh, we've got photo packages. So, uh, hungry boots photography comes in and does follows competitors around and, uh, they do it at other matches as well. Uh, the guardian specifically and, and some of the other precision rifle stuff. Um, and they'll take pictures of your team, uh, but we, we figured out that we can put those together. So that lets the photographer stay kind of with one squad and, and do all the good pictures, you know, get that done. So that kind of helps out. And then um, sometimes, you know, some of these guys are, are super athletes and you've got to kind of slow them down a little bit, um, kind of space everybody out, mix everybody up. And, you know, it, it also gives, um, it also gives the people that are just trying to get their feet wet into it. that want to shoot their first match and mechanized. If, if you know anybody like that. Um, <laughs> uh, it lets them get in with the guys that are doing the rucking and they, they can actually see what, you know, how bad it is, or, Hey, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. Um, maybe we could do it. Maybe we could do that division. Um, so it, you know, it lets everybody see a little bit about, the other divisions and and when they come back maybe they want to be in a different division um so what are the all the divisions that was the next question anyway so since we're kind of talking about that can you go through what each one is called and what they do yeah so we got three divisions um and they're all named after you know kind of a military style unit um we have the the toughest division would be what they call the lerps or lrrp long range reconnaissance patrol and those are traditionally guys that went out in groups of two or three guys um, with just what they had on their backs and lived in the woods for, you know, in a, kind of an undisclosed period of time, just kind of living on their wits and trying to stay hidden and, and uh, doing everything on foot with no support. Um, and that, that's, that's our toughest division. Those guys will ruck uh, with all of their gear. They'll leave the parking lot on Friday morning um, and they will have nothing but what they put in their backpack till Sunday afternoon. So they are entirely unsupported. Um, there's no outside assistance available. You can't share anything with another team. Um, you can't accept any medical assistance without withdrawing. Um, the only thing that you're allowed is, uh, the only thing that the match is gonna provide is water. So you don't have to bring your own water, but all your own food, your sleep system, uh, any medical gear for, for you know, light stuff that would, would happen, blisters and cuts and scrapes and bruises and sprains. Um, you're just basically two guys with what you can carry on your back, um, making it happen for the weekend. Or two girls. Or two girls. Um, we have, we have actually had, um, several teams, um, in the LERP division, female teams in the LERP division. And, uh, so I'm, I'm hoping at some point in time, one of them wins it. Um, 
So the division, I won't say below that, but slightly different than that is called the trooper division. Um, and troopers troopers would, would leave from a base and go out and do their thing during the day. And then they would come back to base at night and, and bivouac or camp there or whatever. Um, so those guys will do all of the same timed rucks, all of the same movements. Um, they'll do the exact same distances, shoot the exact same stages. But at the end of the day, they'll come back to the parking lot and they'll be released either to go to a hotel or go back to their vehicles or whatever. They go eat in restaurants and, and, and do all that. They don't have to pack their own food. So they they're showers. basically, say that again? They take showers. Yeah, they can take a shower. They can take a shower. Um, some of them choose to and some of them don't. <laughs> um, but that division is, is usually really popular as well. Um, and then the last division is the mechanized division. And those would be troops that would ride, say, armored personnel carriers or, you know, in World War II, a lot of them rode on the backs of tanks and stuff and, and would be trucked in. Um, they'd set up and do their thing and then they'd get in the vehicles and move out. So those guys do, everybody shoots the exact same match. All the shooting is exactly the same. The only difference is how you get there and what you carry. Um, so with a trooper, the trooper carries only what he needs for that day uh, because he's going back to base. Um, the mechanized guys, basically the same thing, but they can carry more stuff uh, because they don't really have to carry it. They just ride around on a, on a truck with it. Um, now the mechanized division in these matches will all ride on vehicles provided for the match. So there won't be any personal vehicles allowed. So you can't, you, you still work out of a backpack like everybody else. Your load changes, but you don't, you have what you took with you. So that's one of the big things. We don't publish a round count because you need to take enough ammunition to get what you need to get done. Um, we give you a basic guideline that there'll be uh, four to six targets per stage per shooter and you can only engage a target three times. Those are for rifle. Um, and basically four to five pistol targets per shooter. And you're, one of the calculations that you need to make is how much ammo do you think you can get it done with? Because you don't want to carry too much because it's just you know needless weight that you're carrying around. But <laughs> if you don't carry enough, you don't get any points. So Ammo's heavy. I'm looking at my load from ammo right now and I'm like, ammo, I'm like ammo is heavy. Uh, just one other thing to touch on. Um, one team member has to have a 223 or a 308. Um, the other team member can shoot whatever caliber he wants up to 300 win mag level. So either 556 or 762, 308, 223, one of those. Uh, the operating system doesn't matter. You can run two gas guns, you can run two bolt guns, you can run one gas, one bolt. Um, Nick's going to run a flint lock, I think, this year. <laughs> yeah, that was the uh, the goal, right? I uh, so I I I plan to shoot them all. Um, Joe made a little jab at me because I'll be shooting mechanized for the first match, but um, I, I'm excited to. I've I've watched these matches. Uh, I've shot a lot of precision rifle matches, but I've never I've shot team matches too, but never um, in in this type of locate the target communicate with your partner, engage the targets for both pistol and rifle with problem solving on the clock. 
Um, that's something I'm super excited about. So I got a, a good friend of mine from work. Uh, Mike Tussle is going to be shooting the first match with me. Um, I'm desperately trying to convince my old man to shoot the second one with me. And, uh, and then uh, I got a couple other partners lined up for the uh, trooper and one for mechanized. So I'm really excited to do it. Um, but one of the things you had touched on Joe was the different types of rifles you, know, you might have two gas guns two bolt guns um I, I like seeing people that come out there and talk to them like, so why did you choose this rifle and listening to their strategy like yeah well i i picked a gas gun for secondary because we expect close range targets and we want to engage them quickly and or maybe one guy says well we we, we both chose gas guns because we we know that we're gonna have to breeze through a course of fire fast Whereas another team is like, yeah, we absolutely we're, we'd be crazy not to both bring bolt guns. So seeing the different opinions on that and then how those strategies uh, ultimately play out throughout the three-day match is pretty cool. After my jab at you, Nick, you know, I, I did tell you immediately after that that's a great strategy. Yeah, it is. It is a good strategy. And you said, hey, we'll, we'll be able to qualify. Hopefully we'll be able to qualify in at least one division for the finale. So, yep. So if someone is signed up for um, LERP and they want, they're doing the whole thing and they miss a ruck. So the rucks are timed and they yes. miss a ruck. Do they drop back down to mechanized and continue the match or are they out? No, no and yes. Um, so I, I don't believe in letting the team that can't make the rucks, I don't, I don't believe in making them go home. Um, you, you paid to shoot the match, you're gonna get to shoot the match. You're going to get to shoot all the courses of fire, just like everybody else. Um, but your position in the match, your position of finish or your position at the prize table is fixed at that point. So say we have 20 teams in the, in the trooper division and um, the first team that drops out, they're going to walk the prize table in 20th position. Uh, the second team, no matter how they shoot after that, they can just absolutely burn it down the rest of the time. But they're still, they can only advance to that. That's their, their position is fixed from there. Yeah, whatever points they get is done after that point. Yeah, yeah. So even, even if they don't get any points, they're, they're still in the match. They're still shooting. They're still going to finish at that, at that spot. That's, that's going to be their, their finish. Um, if you're the last team to drop out, so say five teams drop out of trooper that the, the, the team that went the longest um, will walk the prize table ahead of those other five teams, but behind everybody that finished the match that finished all the rucks, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So even if you shoot really, really good, but you can't physically make it there in time, you know, you still finish, you still get to keep shooting. I think that's, that's correct. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like it. I definitely like that idea. Um, so what goes into your stage design that makes them different? There, so we did a stage, I like to do some historically accurate stages. Um, and I kind of like to level the playing field as much as I can between military snipers and law enforcement snipers. Um, the average changes every year, but usually a law enforcement sniper 
you know, one year the average engagement distance will be like 107 yards or 109 yards, 103 yards. So they don't shoot as far, but they require a greater degree of precision. Um, when when law enforcement snipers are called out and have to make a shot, it's usually to make an instantly incapacitating shot to protect the general public or to save lives. Whereas military snipers, you know, kind of a, a you want to you want to shoot to good effect, but it's it's not that level of precision isn't necessary because you're not worried about you know public safety and things like that. So they would take shots that a police sniper would never take. Um, the the police guys, the law enforcement guys, they have to be they have to be a hundred percent certain that their bullet's going to go where they put it, and it's going to have that effect. So. We have a lot of really small targets for them that are closer up with stressors. Um, we've shot, you know, you got to carry a sandbag 30 yards um, and then drop into position and shoot a golf ball. Um, or everybody has to shoot at the same time, a simultaneous shot. Um, we've had some paper exercises where you get, you know, 20 seconds to look at a field of uh, the number six. And there's, I think, you know, six, 48 sixes. And in that field, there is one G, which looks similar, but not exactly alike. And you just have a few seconds to find it and break the ink on the G with a bullet. Um, so we try to do some, we try to do some drills from sniper schools. Um, and I, you know, I talk to the guys that have been to the sniper schools and I, I institute what they put in their curriculum. And, uh, find out the things and kind of adapt the things that lend themselves to a competitive environment. Um, because, you know, most of these sniper schools, they have little competitions among themselves. And so, you know, we've drawn from some of that. Um, and then the historically accurate stuff. I don't know if you guys remember this back in the, back in the eighties, uh, late, late eighties, I think it was in Dayton, Ohio, there's a guy that looked like Joe Dirt from the movie, drug a white plastic lawn chair into the middle of an intersection. That is exactly what to bring up. And he had a, a Smith & Wesson J-frame or a, a similar small revolver. And he was sitting out there threatening to shoot himself in the middle of this intersection. So, of course, the Dayton Police Department swarms the place and they're all, and, you know, the guy's getting close, he's getting more unstable. And, and the police sniper says, I think I can shoot the gun out of his hand. So the, the, the scene commander's like, if you're sure you can do it, then do it. So the range was 82 yards. This guy was sitting in a chair and he was dangling the gun between his legs. Um, and the sniper shot the, shot the gun out of his hand and the look of surprise it was all captured on live television. Um, so at the first match I had, uh, my target sponsors, um, uh, Chris Andrews and Scott Whitehead from Best Targets. I had them cut me a half-inch AR-500 Smith & Wesson J-frame. And we put a bolt hole in one end of it and hung it off of a piece of fire hose. And we cut a little Joe Dirt-looking guy out of plywood, and we put him at 82 yards away. And you had 20 seconds to go uh, from standing with all your gear to prone, uh, I think we started with the mag in and the bolt back, but you had to drop into position and hit that hit that revolver. Um, and it was just a just a real quick stage, one round stage. 
um, but just to see how fast you could get in position and 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 hit the pistol. So I was and the success rate was pretty good. A lot of a lot of really good shooters out there, and and most guys did really well with that. But it was something that was fun, something that's historically accurate, and you know something. You know, you hope you don't ever see anybody waving a gun around, threatening to kill themselves. But it was a good outcome for everybody in that. In that, the, you know, the sniper got kind of famous, and the the Joe Dirt guy lived to see another day, and and you know, no nobody got hurt. So, I remember actually watching that one uh, and talking. The sniper talked to the guy afterwards. Uh, was it the yep. the the guy sitting in the chair walked up to him and said, Did, were you the guy who took the shot? And he said, yep, that was me. And he's a good shot. Something like that. <laughs> we did another one. Um, I'm sure everybody has heard the, the Carlos Hathcock where he shot the, uh, he shot the, uh, I think it was a Viet Cong sniper yeah, through the, the through this. Yeah. Through the scope. Um, he saw the glint of the other, other sniper scope and uh, he just beat him on the trigger and the, the bullet went through the enemy sniper's glass and got him in the head. So best targets every year, they cut, uh, we cut, we get together and we design a target that is specific for this match. So it's never available uh, before and, and they cut one. And then after that, it goes on sale on their website. So it's kind of not really a limited edition, but it, it, it debuts at this match. So for the first match, they also cut me the, the sniper head guy and we cut a two inch hole where the right eye would be. So it's just like a, a it's actually the trophies from the previous matches have all looked the same. They're just different colors, but it's that sniper head with the hole where the eye is. So we put that, I think it was about 250 yards. Um, and then behind it about 10 feet, we put an eight inch swinger plate so it's far enough back that it's completely obscured, but you can thread a bullet through that hole, the eye hole in that plate and hit that plate behind it. So, and that was another 30 seconds. You, you know, stand with all your gear, drop into possession and, and try to try to thread one through the hole there. And I think we got one point for a hit on the, on the first target. And if you made it through the eye and hit the, the second target, it was a five point hit. That's crazy. Yeah, those sound like just absolutely awesome stages that really do like that's yeah that's just not, absolutely not many people get to shoot upside down. Um not not many people get to shoot out of a World War One trench. Um so we you know we try to do some really cool stuff. Um anyway. Greg, you had a live and maybe another question. Yep, uh, Matt Sprouse wants to know, are teams from each division able to automatically qualify for, for the finale? Could you elaborate a little on the qualifications, cumulative scores, placement, et cetera? Absolutely. If you place, there's three divisions in each, each match. If you place in the top five in that division, you're automatically eligible for a guaranteed spot at the finale, at the championship in Texas. So 15 teams from each match. 15 teams from each match, four matches at 60 teams. So that's a uh, person that places multiple times, then there's room for other. There, there is. And that, you know, and a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll do well and, and life happens and they're not going to be able to make it to the finale. So if you, you can, once all of the slots have been offered to all the people that qualified, the remaining slots will be opened up 
Um, and we call those dark horse teams, teams that didn't qualify, but still get to shoot in the, in the end. <laughs> Excuse me. So there, there's a little bit of rumors going around that you guys already have the trophies made and you actually have the, the first place trophies already have Sean Murphy and Greg Hamilton's name on them. Is that, is that correct? That, that is not correct. Um, uh, I, I know Greg and Sean both really well. And uh, very recently they were in a match where um, uh, Jaworski and Gillenberger kind of put the fear in them, I think. So I was about to say, I know Jaworski's after them. They have a oh, yeah. on their oh, back. Yeah. yeah, it was, uh, I actually got to watch them shoot together for the first time over the weekend. And it was like, uncomfortably organic how well they work together absolutely and that's that's what i've always said and i learned it the first match i went to um the the most important skill you can have in a match like this is communication mm -hmm. um, if you can't if you can't effectively communicate with your partner you're you're just kind of screwed it doesn't matter how good of a shot you are um and, and the same goes for gear. Uh, if your gear is not reliable, this match will expose flaws in your gear that you didn't know existed. Um, kind of like that old saying, I got, I got bruises in places that I didn't know I had places. You'll have, you'll have things go wrong that you had, you know, had no idea could even go wrong. I didn't even know that was a thing, but it bit us in the butt. Yep. So I know we said earlier that you guys can't, you know, there's no way to train people to, uh, shoot as a team but if we were to right now you know we got a bunch of people watching they're signing up for the matches like what's some good advice for ways they could start out to shoot like a team the way that like sean and greg and some other people do well i would say first is to go find a range where both of you are kind of new to it um and then pick pick a target, pick a group of targets. One of you pick a group of targets and call your tarp, talking your tarp, your partner onto the targets is the biggest, one of the biggest things. Cause you got to find all these targets to begin with. So once you find them, usually the guy that's not on a rifle is, has got a pair of binoculars or a spotting scope or something. He's looking and has a little bit better view cause he's not trying to get into a shooting position. He can find targets generally a little, little, little faster. So then once he finds that target, he's got to talk his partner onto it. So coming up with a system of communication that allows you to get your partner to see what you're seeing and make sure he's shooting at the right thing. Um, talk back, read back, um, whatever type of communication you use. And, and, you know, in the military, they call that the sniper dialogue. Um, and you, you know, you might, you might look that up, um, but that's, you know, those are the big things is just trying to get, trying to get a system of communication and work that system, um, keep it and use it, uh, perfect it and, and it, till it just becomes second nature. Cause if you ever watch Sean and Greg shoot, a lot of times they don't even talk. They just, they just know what the other one's going to do. And, and that's, a, that's a big thing. I spent a lot of time over the weekend just watching teams ranging from sean and greg down to yeah this is our our first time shooting any sort of a com competition and one big thing i'd say is put your freaking ego aside put your pride aside 
and realize that, you know, that's not what matters right now. The, you know, what you guys do together is what really matters. You know, I saw people stepping on each other, people, you know, get the F out of my way, but like, you're not shooting. You should be helping him because when he hits targets, you get points. And like, literally, I swear that we had some teams up there that didn't realize or weren't acting like they were actually a team. They, they looked like they were shooting against each other. We had, uh, and I, I hate to toot Sean and Greg's horn too much here, but uh, uh, I, I think it was, I can't, I can't remember if it was at the Team Sniper Challenge last year or if it was at Mammoth, but I remember watching Sean and Greg shoot a stage and Greg was shooting off a tripod and he was looking at a target and he had the sun in his eyes and all he had to do was say, the sun's in my eyes. Sean came off his binos, put his hand out and put a shadow over top of Greg's eye so Greg could shoot. And they didn't say a word to each other, like, like instructing, Hey, can you, you know, sh- shade me or anything? All he said was the sun was over my eyes and he gave him a shadow. That was really cool to watch. And, but that's the type of communication that, I mean, I, they, I think they'll say that they don't actually get to train with each other as much as most people think, but for most teams that just comes from doing it over and over together. Yeah, I think they talk a lot on the phone, but yeah, I agree. Communication is key. Watching uh, Mammoth when I wrote it last year, it was funny to see that some teams didn't even say a word to each other. Some teams, they had to, on my stage, find the, it was a set of targets at 800 and a set of targets at 1,000. And there were teams that laid down and the first shooter started shooting the 800s. Then it was the next shooter's turn and they shot the 800s <laughs> instead of the thousand. They, they didn't ever find it. They thought they were, but neither of them were watching each other shoot because if they'd have been watching through glass, they would have been like, oh, that's his targets. That's not mine. I got to find my targets, you know, and, and, and look and find them. And so it was just interesting to me how some people just derailed on the clock. There are no individual points awarded. Correct. Yeah, there's a lot of teams you'll see that you can tell pretty quickly that they did not put themselves through any drills or, or actually try to work as a team before the competition because they'll immediately just start yelling at each other with, with no actual coherent thought about like, there's no problem solving skills being attempted. It is 100% I'm mad at you. You're the reason why we're losing. <laughs> you know? And that, that it's, it's quick to see in a lot of teams. And, and a lot of times those are the teams that like maybe after day one say, you know what, we weren't ready for this and then they'll leave. Um, he, he hate to say that happen, but they'll come back the next year and they'll be ready. There was a husband wife team. That was really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, it was funny. I was like, okay, hope y'all stay married after this. But... <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about, we talked earlier about kind of what makes this match different as far as the experience. So what, if someone wants to sponsor this match, is it just, you know, send some things to the prize table and that's it? I feel like this is a a lot different of a package for a vendor to get. And so what advantages are your vendors going to get if they sponsor these matches? Well, the the first being, if you look at our top level of sponsorship, we, we have our premier partners. 
And those are the companies that are going to be pairing with us for the whole season. Um, the premier partners, they get a, a few things. First of all, you know, obviously they send banners and flags to a match. We want to make sure that we get those out in front of everybody um, in as prevalent as spots as we possibly can. Um, but on top of that, they're also going to get the vendor expo access um, and they're going to have something that no, nobody else gets, which is the product spotlights, um, which actually they get two things nobody else gets. They get product spotlights and they get a stage named after them at every match of the season. Uh, but a product spotlight is a really cool thing because there's, you know, obviously in the, in the shooting sports in particular, like we kind of have to stay on top of our, our gear all the time. You know, we're always coming out with something new, whether it be an optics company, a rifle company, um, whatever it is, um, we're always coming out with new things. And so when people have stuff come out, there's not always a venue available where they can, you know, let's say a, a chassis company, they got a new chassis comes out and they in a super lightweight chassis and they say, all right, we want you to try this. We want you to pick this up. We want you to shoot a rifle in this chassis. You can look at pictures online all you want, but until you get 120 shooters um, from all around the United States, as well as all these people from this community, as well as all these other sponsors, all in one area, being able to pick that up and try it out, uh, that's invaluable, uh, as well as the, the ability to be able to put that item into a stage if that's how they choose to spotlight the product. Um, so that's a big thing. Um, Again, the stage named after them. Uh, right below the premier sponsors is what we call our series, uh, or premier partners is our series partner. So in a lot of ways, they're like a premier partner, um, except for they do not get the product spotlight opportunity there, and they do not get uh, the stage named after them. Um, this, the investment coming into that is significantly lower. Um, so if they're not ready to jump in all the way, that's a great option. Um, the next option uh, after that would be our um, uh, event sponsors. So those are the folks that are really only able to come on for one event. You know, maybe their uh, schedule dictates that they just can't make it to everywhere and they, they got one in their backyard. So they want to hit that one. That would be a great spot for those folks. And then after that, um, something that we kind of came up together was talking about a lot of these, you know, these communities that we're going to be hosting these events in, you know, we're going to be working in these communities quite a bit. I know Joe's going to be out at each of these locations for probably two weeks setting up for these matches. And, um, you know, if we have, let's say he goes into to town and gets breakfast at a small diner and somebody asks him, Hey, what are you doing here? You know, and tells him why he's there. And they're like, Oh, we'd love to be a part of that. Well, we have this, this category for that. And that's event support. And so we want to essentially be able to, open it up to anybody who's wanting to be a part of it. We want them to be a part of it because ultimately it's about everybody coming together and, and having fun, you know? So that's, that's what we are hoping to get out of it at least. Just to, just to touch on a couple of the things that Nick was talking about, um, a couple of examples from previous matches. Um, we didn't call them this at the time, but uh, the product spotlight. So last year we had, I had, um, some of the torsos, best targets cut me the torsos. And the target that we debuted last year had a, um, a trapezoid cut out where body armor would go. So it's basically the same, same shape as a body armor plate. Um, so all you really had 
to the target to make a hit on was uh, was the pelvic girdle and the head and neck area. So it's a it's a it's a great big target, but you know forty percent of the targets missing out of the middle. Um, so we had uh, five eleven was one of our sponsors, and uh, they put some plate carriers on the prize table, and and that was the five eleven stage. Um, when I had them cut the target, we took the uh, we took the the plate shape and we used those as pistol targets. So they had to they had to go through the plate. Both both guys had to go through their series of plates, and then they had to go through and and find these um, these primer gray silhouettes that uh, only could score from the pelvic girdle of this. And, you know, it's a relatively small target, you know, pelvic girdle on that is about that big. And then, you know, you got the head and neck area. Um, and they were between three, uh, maybe 250 to 450 yards, somewhere in there, kind of just placed out through the tall grass. Um, so that would be a, an example of like, or, you know, if somebody's debuting a new rifle, um, you know, we could do a battlefield pickup stage gun, uh, where they would shoot, uh, they would shoot this, this new rifle, um, things like that. Pretty much, you know, we'll work with, we'll work with whatever companies, uh, whatever, what, what companies want to do, um, any, any products that we can, that we can mesh into a stage or, or, uh, make something that's, that spotlights that product, uh, basically. Right. Um, it doesn't even have to be necessarily in this like a shooting community company like what well, you had last year didn't you have uh, a dentist uh sponsor the event? yeah yeah we had a uh he is a uh an oral surgeon that does um a, a prostodontist so he does dental prosthetics and uh actually one of the ro's wound up with his certificate um for a, a dental implant so you know it's we, we talked about having a target shaped like a tooth but it wasn't very realistic so we, we backed off of that one but down the first match i had down in south carolina the local ace hardware we bought all of our t-posts there he gave me a fantastic price on it we put up a big ace hardware banner from the the local hardware store in town so you know that's you know what Nick was talking about down there, the lower level of community support and a, a match support, venue support type position. Yeah. So and we want to maximize the sponsors' uh, ROI. You know, whatever, yeah. whatever we want to get them the most out of their sponsorship dollars, and uh, we'll do whatever we can have. You know, we work with the sponsors as far as ideas about incorporating that and and what they want to do. You know, I get the say. most get the most out of what they, you know, provide us with. I will say anybody that is thinking about sponsoring this match series, if they maybe haven't um, sponsored in the precision rifle arena yet and, and with long range shooters, um, this community is pretty loyal to those that sponsor them. Um, uh -huh. and, and they buy off of, you know, people that sponsor matches. They recognize that the support is there. So it's a good group of people that try to give back to the sponsors that give to the sport. So, uh, let's see, what else do we have? Are there any more lives, Greg? Yep. So not so much, uh, sniper challenge related, but vortex related. Mike Bell asked, uh, speaking of locating long range targets, what's a good pair of vortex binos for a beginner PRS slash NRL 22 shooter? Well, I, I would, I would be, I feel like I'd be doing 
Greg a disservice by not saying, uh, even though it probably is not in the price point for a beginner, uh, I personally carry a pair of 12 power, uh, 12 by 50 UHD razors to pretty much everything I go to. Um, massive field of view, long depth of field, insanely high resolution. Uh, if you know, if you're somebody who uh, appreciates the benefit of watching bullet trace, it's like it's like somebody's drawing an imaginary line through the air that you can uh, you can see it when most people can't see trace. Mm -hmm. You can still see it. Um, so that is a huge benefit for me personally. Um, but, you know, honestly, something in that magnification range is, is usually very useful. I always tell people that, especially when you're buying optics, you know, it, it, it tell, look at the absolute top end of your budget, and that's probably where you should be buying. Um, especially, and I hate to plug Vortex that direct, but uh, if you're going to be buying one of our products, um, my, you might as well spend as much as you can on it. Because for one, optics, they become obsolete pretty quickly. It's like computers, you know, you, our new UHD uh, 12 by fifties are amazing in four years. We'll have topped them twice. So, mm -hmm. and the other thing is, is that, you know, like so many other competitive shooters, I tend to beat the living shit out of my equipment. And uh, so when I have my uh, UHDs sitting up on a tripod and I walk away from it and somebody accidentally kicks my tripod down a hill and knocks my binoculars out of collimation, which has happened twice this year, um, it's good to know that we have a company that stands behind their products. So even if it's not something that the company did and uh, the shooter did themselves, um, having a, a, an expensive piece of equipment that you don't have to baby is my point. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's pretty important too. Yeah, that's that's solid advice. I I don't have the the bank for the UHDs. I got the twelve by fifty HDs, and stepping up from these to these from one of the cheaper, you know, same same spec twelve by fifty, but you know, shooting a hundred yard NRL twenty two match, I could see the targets just fine with either one of them. You know, it was a I was running the 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 Diamondbacks, and I could see the targets fine. I could see the far targets fine. But the thing that I was really missing out on was the trace and the um, the mirage. Like I, I just couldn't see them. And it's, you know, going from a three, four hundred dollar pair of binos to a fifteen hundred dollar pair of binos. It just up my game so much right. being able to see that stuff before I started shooting. There's something that we get a lot of questions on. And I think it's it's more or less just. Uh, from the folks that are unaware of what they're looking at, but when they see Mirage for the first time, they think that there's something wrong with their optic. Um, <laughs> and it, it happens a lot. It's like, hey, every time I look at this at longer ranges, I just see these waves in there. Don't you have something that doesn't do that? And, no, we don't. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, once people get a little bit more akin to shooting often and at longer ranges and understand it, they understand that the Mirage can actually be their friend. Um, even though it does distort your target, one of the benefits of having something that is higher resolution is that that mirage no longer looks like blur. It looks like you can actually almost count the waves. And when you have that super high resolution, that mirage becomes very useful. And mm -hmm. you're not actually mitigating what you're seeing, like the amount of mirage you're seeing, but you're, what you're doing is mitigating how much it affects your ability to make out the shape of the target. Um, so that is, that's another important thing. I, again, that's why I always come back to when somebody says, Hey, um, you know, what's, what's a good pair of binoculars that doesn't break the bank. 
Well, first of all, I have no idea what size your bank is. Uh, but second of all, I would say, all right, imagine that your budget is between $300 and $800. Buy a $850 optic. Mm -hmm. Fully, fully agreed with that one. So this is a different type of match. So what kind of different equipment is needed? Speaking of having binos, part of the reason I'm thinking of that is I think that the UHDs are great, but I think the Furies are probably really good for this application just because it's got the ranging. Yeah. Um, so the Fury, uh, the Fury bino in general is is great for these type of matches we have we have two fury binoculars one is the fury hd 5000 which is a range finding bino with a 10 by 42 it is hd it's not going to be as good as like the razor uhds but they're still good enough um, and then we have the fury hd ab uh, which is the same thing it's a fury hd 5000 with apply ballistics on board so it, it is capable on reflective targets out to 5000 yards which nobody's really shooting that far anyways um but on lesser reflective targets let's say a gray piece of steel you, you know getting out to you know 2500 yards relatively quickly with a single ping is not difficult um so that plus having your ballistic data all on board so once you push that data over to the the binocular itself you don't have to keep it tethered to anything although some people still like to tether it to like a kestrel um, you you actually have the solver all on board so when you range your target it'll give you a range it'll give you your inclination and then the screen will change and then it'll read you out your drop in either mill or moa and then it'll also read you your wind so you can even input your wind data uh, with that in two different wind modes so Briefly, I'll, I'll talk on that. You have either full crosswind mode where you're either looking at a, a three o'clock or a nine o'clock wind and you're increasing and decreasing the values. Um, then you also have the wind bearing capture, which I'm very fond of, where you face in the direction that the wind is coming from. You hit wind bearing capture. It'll save the azimuth of the wind. It'll even read you out the azimuth in degrees and it, that, that azimuth is saved until you recapture. So if you have a wind from the seven o'clock, you turn around, ping seven o'clock wind. And then as you range targets, regardless of if I'm looking at 12 o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock, or back to 10 o'clock, it's gonna remember the azimuth of the wind and take that into consideration. So you get a very refined wind call doing it. That's awesome. Yeah, that what, really is. What other equipment do you think would, like people that have shot PRS maybe, and they don't know what these are about, what are other, pieces of equipment that you really need to have that you wouldn't need. Let you jump on that one, Joe. You need to be able to find your targets. So that's where good binos and, you know, sometimes find the targets means get your face out of the glass and use your eyes and, and, and look for likely places where a guy would hide. Um, and then, then interrogate those places with, with optics. Um, so a good pair of binoculars or a spotting scope. Spotting scopes are a little more unwieldy. Um, they usually always have to be on a tripod, whereas binoculars you can use a little better, but you know they even benefit being on a tripod. So um, most teams that do well uh, carry some type of tripod. Uh, I don't know that there's a whole lot of benefit in carrying two tripods, but I have seen it done. Um, our philosophy in shooting these matches is uh, if it gets you points 
and you can carry it, then bring it. Um, and, and, you know, you try to keep everything that, that has more than one use. If it has more than one use, then it's, you basically have your, your, the items that let you function through the match and then you have shooting aids. So the more austere the conditions are, the lighter your shooting aids or the fewer your shooting aids need to be. And the more, you know, you start thinking about things like tents and sleeping bags and stoves to cook with and, you know, full, full size heavyweight bags, um, you know, game changers and fortune cookies and big solo sacks and you know, big heavy stuff kind of loses its luster when you got to carry it 30 miles. Um, so light fill, um, light fill in your, in your shooting aids, um, lightweight gear, um, good holster for your pistol. Um, like just about any other thing, you know, if you, if you drop a hot pistol, unfortunately that's a, that's a safety violation that's unrecoverable. And, uh, that would, that would end your day. That would end your match. So a good, some type of retention holster. There is a lot of climbing. There is a lot of jumping. There is a lot of crawling. Um, so, so these are things that are, are a lot different than say a PRS or an NRL match or a, a USPS, USPSA match or three gun match. You're going to have a lot of, um, a lot of obstacles and stuff. I mean, you know, there's ropes and nets and, uh, bushes and weeds and crawling and rolling and things like that. So your, your gear will not look the same as it did, um, when you started, I promise. Um, but yeah, good, good optics. Uh, it's always been our practice more than one rangefinder. Um, if you, if you lose one and I've seen people lose one, I've returned them after the match when they left them on a stage. Um, if you lose anything during the match, you misplace anything, you leave anything behind, you will get it back, but it, you will get it back on Sunday afternoon. Um, once you depart from an item and leave it on a stage, then the, the staff will pick that up and we'll, we'll keep it safe for you, keep it secure for you, and, and you can pick it up after the match. But uh, just like it would be, just like it would be if you were in, you know, if you were in a hostile territory or whatever and left your binoculars behind, going back to get them is not a, not a, a viable option. So it may have left their armboard with all their dope on our stage the first day. Yep. That's hard. That's that's why my partner and all these kind of matches carries a copy of mine and I carry a copy of his. We've got that one covered because I lose everything. Um but yeah have have your dope have two copies of it. Have your partner have two copies of his dope and you have a copy of his and he has a copy of yours. Um, we're a big fan and, and most of your really successful teams are a big fan of paper dope. Um, if you watch, you know, Sean and Greg shoot, it's, it's just a quick look off. You don't even have to come out of your scope. Um, you don't have to change your eyes or anything. You just shift focus to your left eye. The dope is right there on a card or an arm board. Um, when I hear a range, I'm usually shooting about the time he's confirming that second range. Um, just because it's so much faster. Um, I'm looking for targets. He calls me a range. I shift focus to my left eye, see what the dope is for that range, and then I'm on it. Um, something that's really impressed me is the the new the new reticle in the uh, the LHT scope that Vortex just came out with. Um, being the secondary shooter, having a gas gun, and shooting the targets that are 800 and in 
Um, I find that it saves us a lot of time just to hold. Um, you'll see a lot less dialing on, uh, on a match like this than you will say in a PRS match um, because there's just not the time for it. And if you don't dial exactly back to where you need to be, you know, just in the heat of the moment, things get, things get missed. Your, your checklist that you normally shoot, say like a PRS match would, would be, or uh, like your pre-stage three gun checklist just kind of goes out the window and it's just make it happen on the clock, on the fly um, with somebody dropping hot brass on you or somebody screaming or while you're dragging a, a you know, 150 pound dummy or, you know, just any number of things that can, that we can throw at you to make life hard for you. Um, the less you have to think about and the more that you can just kind of innately do. Uh, and I think the biggest thing in that is a good usable reticle. And uh, the reticle in the LHT is fantastic for that. So, I, you know, I'm, there's no dialing. Uh, I just, you know, pick it up 2.6 mils and, and pull the trigger. And for people that are interested in knowing, okay, there we go. People that are interested in knowing about that LHT as well, one of the benefits of that optic is the Light Hunter Tactical. It comes in at 21.7 ounces, so you have an ultra light rifle scope that has the functionality for this type of competition. The thing is crazy light and crazy clear. I got to play with it at the expo a couple of weeks back, and I tried to hide it under my coat, but Nick caught me. <laughs> Something that I something else I love about it, and, and a lot of people like to dial wind. Um, I don't know that I don't know that dialing wind is, is it's not a solution that I would ever use in a match like this. Um, so a covered wind turret is just you know invaluable. How many times if you've ever shot any kind of match like this, or even PRS matches and stuff, you look down and you've got an, an incidental uh, three tenths of wind dialed in that you, <laughs> and you're trying to figure out why you're not hitting anything. Been there, done that. Yep, I think a bunch of us have. And and so when when Nick told me, he said, "Hey, you know, this thing has a covered uh, a covered wind turret," and I'm like, "Oh, thank God! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that is not a drawback." Yep, that's awesome. So we we kind of covered the gear. What about special skill sets that, like, let's say somebody shot some NRL matches or PRS matches, but like. What other kind of skills that you don't see in your typical precision rifle match are going to be involved in this? It's just basically a well-rounded, a well-rounded set of problem solving. Just being able to look at something and and muddle your way through it. It's gonna it's gonna seem horrible. Um, you're gonna seem like you screwed it all up, and then you know you look back and you're like, "Hey, we won that stage! Holy cow!" <laughs> everybody has these, you know, everybody has these catastrophic stages and, and these bad days. And the people that do well are the people that mitigate those 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 cluster. You know, something that we didn't really talk about. We did bring up problem solving a little bit, but uh, being a good note taker is huge at these type of events because when you and your squad are read off the course of fire and provided details that you have to be, I mean, you don't get up and just, you know, while you're on the clock, ask the RO a question like, sorry, we told you the answers to that. You had time to ask. No, you don't. 
Um, so being able to get there with your partner, take good notes, compare your notes, ask the right questions, re, re, you know, go back through your notes, make sure that they're correct. You both have a good understanding of what you're going to do, formulate a game plan and get up there and execute. Um, that's huge. You know, so uh, having uh, Joe's been pretty lucky and Chris has been pretty lucky having uh, old Scott Whitehead on the team. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you if you're a match director and you ever want to proof a stage and make it gamer proof, enlist the help of Scott Whitehead. Um, he will he will find all the holes, all the loopholes in your stage. I promise. Yeah, um, no doubt. One, one thing, one other thing we missed that I, you know, that, that on gear that it's, it's just almost a must have is, is a timer. You got to have a timer. You got to have some way to know where you are in the stage. Um, if, if you don't, it will come back and bite you. Um, mm. There are stages that we've shot where, you know, you lose all your points if you're not back across a certain period. You know, if you're not where you need to be at a certain time, then all your points are gone. So you got, you got to know when to pull the plug. Um, and you got to know each other's limits. Um, it's, it's easy to go to war with a target um, when you're on the clock and, you know, I know I can do this. I know I can do this. And, you know, you got to be able to, you as the spotter have to be able to pull your partner off the gun and say, look, I'm going to shoot now. And he's got to be willing to give up, to give up the trigger and, and let you get, let you get to work. Um, and so, just, it's just one of the things, communication, and um, you got to kind of have to be selfless, put your partner in front of you um, and, and work that way. I've watched some people that we recently talked about do that over the weekend. One of them realized that their dope for the long range shooting wasn't uh, quite up to par. So he utilized all the advantages of his uh, gas gun and uh, just kind of sent it and let his partner get right back on target and hit those close ones. Racket. <laughs> you go now. That's crazy. Are there any more lives, Greg? We are good on lives at the moment. How's how's registration going? Any more updates on that? Let's see. I got a whole bunch. I got to give me half a second. 25 spots left. All right. Well, wow, that's over half of it. In an hour. Come on, guys. Get, let's see if we can get this sold out by morning. You know you want to do it. <laughs> Nick's like, got to get off the podcast so he can get registered. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty fast on this thing. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never mind. It's a multitasking over there. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we can run it down to shout outs then. And um, we usually start with Greg. All right, I got a uh, DSL suppressors. This, oh, wait, nope. Oh, there we go. It's backwards. This one over here, super awesome. Makes your guns like super quiet and stuff. Shooters and Sharpshooters of Augusta, our local indoor and outdoor ranges. PDC Custom, most beautiful rifle chassis known to man. They're available in lime green and normal human colors. Hunter's uh, HD Gold up there. I'm like seriously blind and I can see so much more stuff. If you haven't tried them out, you should give them a try. It's kind of like a, uh, looking through a set of UHDs, except for they're like attached to your face. Um, fix it sticks because I break stuff all the time and need to fix it and Bortec to keep your rifle clean when you actually use the stuff. At least it does, you can't just leave it sitting in your garage and expect it to clean your gun for you. <laughs> Joe, what you got for shout outs? Um, this, is, this is the big one. This has been 
my saving grace here lately is the is the um, the Furies. Um, these this is actually the second set. The first set uh, fared just about as well as I did in the ATV crash. Um, so, you know, people talk about warranties and all that. Oh, if you make a great product, you don't need a good warranty. Well, these are not designed to have an 850 pound four wheeler land on top of them. Um, so it's great. You know, the warranty is fantastic. Um, that, that is actually the only product I've ever had warranty from Vortex. Everything else has been flawless. Um, the LHT, uh, we're going to use to really good effect, um, this year. And that's, that's really my big one. Um, we got some good sponsor announcements coming up and, uh, the, the sponsors for these matches are going to be incredible. We've already got some people in um, at the highest levels uh, and attracting some non-traditional sponsors. So um, those shout outs will be following here pretty soon. That's awesome. <laughs> the come in and sponsor matches. They're outside of the shooting industry. Nick, how about you? What shout outs you got? Well, first of all, thank you, Shooter's Mindset, for having us on. Really appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to having you guys out of the matches. Um, I guess, first of all, uh, after that, would we'll go out to the sponsors that have already signed on with us. Um, you know, that's uh, it, it's huge to commit to working with us for the year. We've got quite a few people. Our company's already on the list. And... Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, exciting to see some of the, some of the companies that are jumping on and some of the other companies that we're working with right now, trying to figure out where they're going to sit within the list too. Um, and besides that, of course, uh, Joe, thank you. I'm excited to work with you more this year. Heck yeah. Awesome. And for me, I just want to thank y'all for coming and spending what two and a half hours of your Tuesday evening with us. I know there's a lot to be getting done, getting ready for the matches. And you came and spent that time with us to let the viewers ask some questions. So I want to thank you for that. And thank you, Joe, for what you're doing for that community and just for the shooting sports in general with running these matches. I think it's going to be a great year. I'm really excited to see how the year goes with this. So yeah. it's, it's absolutely a privilege to be, to be able to bring something this much fun to this group of guys uh, and girls. So um, it's, like I said, I, I, I love doing it and uh, it's, it's a blast. I get to see all these great people again and the guys that come back year after year after year and, and, uh, and the new ones that are just, you know, coming home from faraway places or, you know, getting out of the cities and, and getting back into the country and, and doing fun stuff when they're not, when they're not working. That's awesome. Well, everybody can keep an eye out. We'll be sharing things whenever they have match announcements. We will share them on the Shooter's Mindset page. Or there's also a Facebook page, isn't there, for? Uh, there is, yeah. The uh, Vortex Team Sniper Challenge has its own page, has its own Instagram. Um, Nick's, Nick's up on Instagram. I'm still trying to get my kids how to teach me to use it. Um, so, so anybody that wants information, those um, areas I'm sure will be announcing the matches as it gets closer to time and you can announce those fall matches, they'll be announced I'm sure there or we'll share them on our page too so that everybody can see when those registrations are coming open. So, <laughs> if I don't do it. <laughs> You're all right. 
Oh, I swallowed wrong. Need the Heimlich. All right, and with that, it's going to be a wrap for episode 356. <laughs> See y'all next week. <laughs>